That's good. Okay. Um, just to clear one thing up, first of all, I am uh, wearing a sling. Not as, it's not a prophetic demonstration or anything <laughs> spiritual like that. I dislocated my shoulder on Friday, having bounced off a space hopper. So I'm thankful for everyone who heard that news and has prayed. I'm grateful as well to God for enabling me to be a source of merriment <laughs> to one and all. Um, the ambulance guy said, as we were going in the ambulance to the JR, um, he said he did, when his kids were at school, he never participated in parents' sports day events, which is where it occurred, because of the number of times he'd been called out to them. <laughs> and he knew it was foolish, so... There you go. That's what happened to me. I was only in A&E uh, for under two hours, which was quite miraculous. So that was good. And I'm, yeah, go NHS. And uh, I was quite surprised, because given that it was a day with lots of school sports days, I thought it would be full of embarrassed fathers, but it was only me. So there you go. Um, I did a wedding yesterday. Um, only one thing went wrong, I think. Um, which is when I asked um, Phoebe, who was getting married, whether she wanted to take Matt to be her lawful wedded wife, <laughs> which was a shame. But she understood, and she got it right, so that was good. But I think, other than that, God had helped me yesterday, so I trust that the same will happen again today. Uh, first of all, then, I mean, it's just great to be together uh, as a region, as different churches connecting with one another. What we're doing today is the result of God having spoken to us prophetically uh, over some years, and one key word in particular to do with plumbing, which some of you will have heard, but which I need to repeat. And this word was that as a group of churches, Oxfordshire Community Churches has been extended and extended and extended. That is, we have grown over a number of decades. But it was like this was a house with central heating, And with each extension to the house, the central heating had also been extended, meaning that there were more and more pipes in an attempt to get the warmth everywhere it needs to go. But actually, it had just got really complicated, and the central heating was no longer good enough, and it's time to take out the pipes and instead to light fires in the fireplaces of the different rooms that, that have uh, been built by the grace of God. So that's the background to what we're doing. It's not just a sort of an idea for the sake of organisation or something, but God has spoken. And uh, one of the questions that we asked as leaders across our churches was, in response to that prophetic word, does it mean then that we should just uh, see every different congregation, church and church plant across our family of churches, all going their own way and become a group of lots of independent churches, all living their own life by themselves. But a word that we had as a foundation to Oxfordshire community churches many years ago was that we were stronger together than we would be by ourselves. And so whilst God was speaking about unplumbing and making things simpler, it doesn't undo that foundation of being stronger together. And as we've continued to pray about that, God has led us and we've ended up with three groups of churches, three regions. Of course, there are very practical reasons why it's good to be together. It means that not every one of our churches has to do their own audited accounts and all that sort of thing. We don't all have to grapple with legislation about child protection. So there's some benefits of that sort, but it's not really about that. 
that we are together. It's much more than that. The fact that we as churches care for each other means that we can do far more. A phrase that we've become familiar with over the last few years has been the big society. I don't know what you think about that politically, but as churches, many of us are stepping into the gap that is created by public spending cuts and saying, well, we will serve our local community then if, if it's not going to happen through the spending of taxpayers' money. Uh, Lifehouse in Kidlington have already begun to speak to the parish council there and are on the way to getting, we trust, approval from the county council for taking over youth work provision for Kidlington at the point that the county council is cutting it. It's a big faith step, but one that God is leading them into. In Bicester, there are discussions together with Highway Church about starting a free school, as there's a massive expansion of Bicester with an eco-town being built to the side and big changes for education in the town as a whole. We're finding that Bicester Community Church and Highway along with them are being led by God to step right into that alongside other existing players county and the diocese and so on, and to play a part together. Uh, In Oxford, we are, it was on the PowerPoint earlier, we commissioned a team some years ago to look at starting a new school in the city. It's been interesting how that journey has unfolded, and increasingly we're seeing that there could well, we trust that by the grace of God, there will be a part for us to play as a church with partners in helping to provide state Uh, funded education in the city. In Tame, Kids Club and Lighthouse have been things that have occurred as people have worked together across different churches. And I have to say that when I look at sort of the number of us that there are and all that God is calling us to do and helping us to do to reach into our communities, I have to say that there is a great strength there. I don't know whether you feel that or not, but as I look across the whole, I think... I've only mentioned some of what's going on. There's a huge strength, an overflow of blessing from us as a people to those around us. And I don't believe that we would be doing any of those things that I've just listed if our churches were operating in isolation. We just wouldn't have thought to do so. We wouldn't have felt the confidence to do so or had the gifts to draw on from others to enable us to do so. But our strength is still about more than just sort of cross-fertilization and encouraging one another. One of the things that I do is join with uh, an organization called the Oxford Council of Faiths, which draws together representatives of different faith communities, so-called, across the city. So I meet regularly with uh, Hindus and Buddhists and Sikhs and Muslims and Jews and pagans and Baha'i and Jehovah's Witnesses and lots more that all get together. We had a conversation the last time I was there about the big society. And it basically went like this. Everybody else said, oh good, it's failing. Uh, The whole political thing's not working out. No one's joining in. Ha, ha, ha. Which I was a bit surprised by. I may have overstated that slightly, but that was the feel amongst those that spoke. And, uh, and I found myself saying, isn't this a great opportunity for us to serve the communities that we're in? And whatever your politics, 
There are people in need and we can help, right? And the response that I got was, um, we don't really want to ask what needs to be done because we're not sure that we could deliver anything anyway. And I was really surprised. Maybe others of you have been in those circles for longer and you're not surprised. But what I discovered was that it was really only spirit-filled Christians right across the county who were stepping up to take on that responsibility. I was surprised. But that's the truth of it. So our strength, you know what it's down to? It's to do with God. Which is why the first slide here didn't simply say stronger together, but stronger together in Christ. He is the source of our strength. And as we start a new phase of our life together, it would be wrong for us to think that somehow our organization or the gifts that we have amongst us are the source of our strength. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've got a few degrees and a little bit, little bit of life experience, not as much as some of you have, but I can't even stay on a space hopper. <laughs> so, I mean, come on. Hopefully this clarifies for all of us the sort where we need to place our faith and not place our faith. Actually, I can't even tie my shoes up properly is the truth of it. It's true. When I was a child, um, I insisted on teaching myself. I do it wrong. I've never changed. This is me. So, so I haven't got most of the skills that a five-year-old has. Um, this picture of pipes with water flowing between them and fire, I believe, speaks to us in another way which is that with pipes, what happens is something flows through them to be a blessing. And uh, I don't know if you ever sang that song. I think it was written by Francis of Assisi um, back in the day. Uh, Make me a channel of your peace. Do you know that one? You probably sang it at school. Make me a channel of your peace. Well, actually, God wants for us to be more than channels. It's not just that we're somehow available to him for him to work through us. But actually, he's interested in who we are. And the picture of fire is to do with who we are. Fire in the Bible is a picture of several things, but one of them is it's a picture of the presence of God. So for us to be on fire means that we are the people of God. We're not just something that is useful to God, that God might work through, It's to do with who he is making us. We are the people who carry the presence of God. We are all about the presence of God. If our being together this morning is to have any benefit, any purpose, it's because God is here with us. Yeah? If that's not the case, then we might as well give up. I've been hugely encouraged by the strength and richness of prophetic ministry that we've had this morning means I've not got much time, but that's okay, because it's a sign that God is with us, and the things that he said, we need to attend to and hear from him. In the Old Testament, the one person who got most into the presence of God was Moses. In Exodus chapter 20, you better turn there, we are going to read the Bible a little bit this morning, some of you will be very glad to know. Just pick up a couple of bits from the story of Moses 
And uh, we'll go to Exodus 20 and then to that other reference in a moment. God came near to the people of Israel and was there on Mount Sinai. And uh, there was thunder and lightning and so on on the mountain. So Exodus 20 and verse 18 tells us how the people responded. It says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God's come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And then the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. The people stayed at a distance, but Moses headed on in. To the presence of God, probably quite afraid. That's how everybody else felt, at least. As the story unfolds, we find that there are points when some other people went with Moses into the presence of God. In Exodus 24, it talks about Moses taking Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders up the mountain with him a certain distance, and they saw the Lord. But God called Moses further up, closer to him. He went up with Joshua, and it says he entered the cloud of God's presence. There, in that place of face-to-face encounter, God spoke to him. It says in Exodus 33 that the Lord would speak with Moses face-to-face. There, God showed him his glory, which is a revelation of God's nature. He showed Moses what he's he's like. And then, when Moses came back down the mountain, the people responded to Moses as if to the Lord. So this is this other reference in Exodus 34. We need to read this and try to get our heads around something extraordinary that happened when Moses was in God's presence. It says in Exodus 35 and verse 29, sorry, 34 and verse 29, that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant. It was radiant Because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. So the people had seen this fiery cloud on the mountain and thought, I don't want to go there. Moses went up and in his face-to-face encounter with God was transformed and came back down the mountain carrying the presence of God. He had been changed, and he didn't even know it. But the people responded to him as if he were God. As they'd been afraid of God, so they were afraid of him. But Moses called to them, verse 31. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, 
All the Israelites came near him, and he gave them the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. But when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. It's because they couldn't cope. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he'd been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. I want to understand something here. Moses didn't go on some sort of ten-point plan towards holiness. He simply entered in to the presence of God and encountered God face to face. He heard the words of the living God. And there, in the presence of God, he was changed. What was he, how was he changed? He was changed by the presence of God to become more like God himself. He took on the presence of God, the glory of God, the nature of God, so that when he then came down the mountain, people responded to him as if they had the Lord in front of them right there and then. There's a picture there for us about what it means for us. It's not just about us being channels of something like, I'll get a word from God up the mountain, word from God down the mountain, give people the word. You know, I'm just a channel of something occurring. But rather, Moses, the whole thing worked because Moses himself was changed. There was an authority and a power that he had because of what God had done to him, taking him and making him to be a radiant person. That's what those things coming out of Moses' head there. You know, I I challenge you to, you know, represent in an image the glory of God. You might do better than that, I don't know. That was Moses' experience. Turn, though, to the New Testament and to Matthew chapter 17. Quite remarkably, something similar goes on for Jesus. Similar and yet different, as is so often the case between the Old and New Testaments. Similar and different. He goes up a mountain and he goes into the presence of God. Matthew chapter 17. Jesus took with him Peter, James and John. John the brother of James. And led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. There's that radiance. And his clothes became as white as the light. And then it goes on to talk about them falling down and Moses and Elijah appearing and so on. Now, I have to say that this is one of those things in Scripture that I cannot, I I don't fully understand what was going on here. I think if anyone claims to fully understand, um, well, I'd love to hear from them because... They may understand a bit more than me, but there is, there is some mystery here. And yet what we can see is that Jesus himself, on going into his father's presence, was somehow made more radiant. Now, Jesus is already perfect. So whereas with Moses, at least maybe part of it was that he was being changed 
to be made more holy, that wasn't what was going on with Jesus. Jesus has always been and was, as he started up the mountain, he was perfect. There was no need for him to be transformed, to be made in any way better. So perhaps the best way to understand this is that there in the presence of God, it was, a, it was like his true nature was revealed. That which had, he'd always been was somehow now able to shine out from him so that the men who were there with him could see it. It was like his skin became thinner so that his true glory was not as hidden as it had been before. People could see who he really was. Now, the amazing thing is that the story of Moses and this story of Jesus both apply to us. Because if we now turn to 2 Corinthians 3, we can read the Apostle Paul writing about the glory of God and veils and our transformation. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 13 says, We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here especially freedom to come face to face with God. The greatest of all privileges the most wonderful of all freedoms. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, the translators of the NIV, from which I've read, have chosen to translate the same Greek word in different ways in Matthew and in 2 Corinthians. The the, the Greek verb is metamorpho. It's to do with change, metamorphosis, we say in English. That's the word that's here. We are being metamorphosed into the likeness of Christ. The same word is there in the Greek in Matthew, where it speaks of Jesus. Jesus was metamorphosed as well in the presence of God. There's an expectation for us that we would be transformed in the presence of God in the same way that Moses was, only better, and in the same way that Jesus was as well. As Moses was changed to become one radiant with the presence of God when before he was just an ordinary man, so too we are changed and made radiant. And just as for Jesus, who he really was as the Son of God went from being hidden to being seen by the people around him. As he spent time in fellowship with his Father, so too for us. You know, we have been made the children of God through faith in Christ. 
But sometimes the people that we bump into, you know, on the streets and so on, don't recognize it as such. But the promise of God is that as we spend time in his presence, he will like, make, if you like, our skin that bit thinner. So that the truth that we are carrying the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ and our Father God would become known. That people would see the truth of who we are. We are not average, ordinary people. <laughs> we are children of the living God. We carry his presence. And sometimes we can get a bit confused because people don't respond to us rightly. You know, they, they don't say, oh, could you do a miracle for me? They don't see it. But the answer to all of that is for us ourselves to spend time in the Lord's presence so that people will increasingly be able to see us for who we are. As we come close to God and spend face time with him, we take on his nature. We become more like Jesus. When we've been with the Father, let's have the next slide, because this is the thing. When we've been with the Father, who is the Father of lights, we then carry his light wherever we go. People then look at us, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they see and feel and hear what God is like. That might sound an incredibly arrogant thing to say, but it's no greater claim than the scriptures make and instruct us is the reality of a walk with Christ. So, started off, and we've, with the bits of paper and that, we've looked at lots of things that we are doing as a region, as a group of churches. But um, as we do them, we need to remember that our strength does not lie in our energy, in our mix of gifts even, but our strength comes directly from God. And the question that I have for us is, is there a hot center to all that we're doing? Is there a spiritual fire in each one of us and in us together? As we gather, do we receive the Holy Spirit? Like the disciples on the day of Pentecost when tongues of fire came and rested upon them as the presence of God came, they met with God and he marked them out and said, you are the people who carry my presence. I'd say I believe that there is a hot center amongst us. When I hear of Gary in, uh, near his home near Tame in Long Crendon, uh, feeling the prompting of a... Where is Gary? He's at the back there. Prompting of the... I'm embarrassing you a little bit, but it's good. Uh, prompting of the Spirit, speaking to an elderly neighbor and leading him to Christ. I think, yeah. yeah. I think there's a hot center. I think the fire of God is with us. I think the people of God have the presence of God. When I hear of the favor that the guys in Bista have got with authorities concerning a free school, I think there's a hot center. I think the spirit of God is with us. When I hear of a great crowd meeting in Costa in Kidlington for Sunday Night Live, I think, yes, this is the people of God experiencing the favor of God. When I hear in the city here and in the university of a student alpha course with loads of guests, when actually this time last year, the students that ran it were afraid of running alpha. And they thought, oh no, God might ask me to do that. And it'll be awful. (laughs) And then 
they met with God. And faith came, and life came, and victory came because of the Spirit of God. So we are strong, did you know? It's not because of our humanity, our falling off space hopper stupidity, uh, but because Christ's life is in us. And that makes all the difference. The purpose of this region is not just to be better organized or something. The purpose of this region is to be on fire with Christ's life. Amen? Amen. That's what we're about. Let's walk into that future together. Amen.